right, here we are again, and welcome to everybody and anybody that's looking in on this broadcast, if anybody's watching this video at all, glad to have you with us. We are looking in the Gospels, and we're in the book of Matthew still, chapter 22. A lot of information for us. Well, the Bible has a lot of information. It's got tons and tons of stuff, doesn't it? Um, all right, what we're going to do is... In the book of Matthew, we have, uh, chapter 22 in the book of Matthew, we have um, basically divided it up into five sections, and we're up to the fourth one. We're going to try and do these last two as the, uh, the um, Pharisees come to the Lord Jesus Christ and ask him a question, and he answers them. So we have to look at those two. We look at that, two separate things there, but they go together, and it's all one thing, really, but... Two parts to it, okay? But let's have a word of prayer before we go any further. Our Father in heaven, again, we give thanks to the Lord. We ask that you just would guide us as we go through this uh, message and these things in your word here this, uh, today, Lord. We thank you for your grace and your goodness upon us. Uh, Lord, help us understand. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so last week we looked at, they were gathered together. We looked at the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, whether they were or all of them or not, they were always uh, antagonists towards the Lord Jesus Christ. They were always on at him. And we're going to see here in this ending of this chapter, as we get, hope we get that far, for, uh, um, it, we're going to see one of the main reasons, and we're going to see the Lord Jesus deal with all of their antagonism and the reason why. As we looked at last week for some of it, uh, some of the reasons, we have another reason here as we look, get to the end of this. We'll note that in chapter 23, the Lord changes his tone towards them. Okay? He's been showing them, he's been teaching them, he's been uh, uh, answering questions and such. When we get to chapter 23, he's uh, pronouncing woes upon them, calling them hypocrites and such. But this is the build-up to it right here, uh, verse 34 uh, to verse 46. Let's see if we can cover that today and have a look and see. So we see, but when the Pharisees had heard that he, being the Lord Jesus, had put the Sadducees to silence, uh, that word silence right there has the idea of a muzzle. There's nothing they could do. There's nothing they could say. Uh, they were just kind of caught in a corner. And, of course, they're dealing with God manifest in the flesh. And uh, um, this is dealt with later on as well. But when the Pharisees had heard that he had put the Sadducees to silence, but... Uh, they were gathered together. So um, then one of them. So they, they come to the Lord Jesus. And they're going to try and confound him, trip him up. And it says here in our Bible, then one of them, which was a lawyer, asking him a question, tempting him, tempting him to test him. What disrespect that they had for him was just tremendous. And they bring this question. Now, here we have in one of them, it says one of them, which was a lawyer. I want to just consider that word just for a minute. In Bible times here, it's not a lawyer like today. If you go to the lawyer, it's somebody who has studied the laws of the land and such. Originally, the lawyer was somebody who had studied scripture. Okay, These are the ones that studied it and uh, like the scribes and that. They would study it and they would be uh, very skilled in the Mosaic law. They were also called doctors of the law. Okay. Um, or, or teachers of the law would be a, 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 a fair translation of, of, of that. Um, a lawyer here could also be a doctor of. 
in the case of Gamaliel, you've heard of him, Gamaliel, uh, he was a doctor of the law and he was also a member of the Sanhedrin. But we have here these ones that were uh, kind of like the top dogs, the big guns, the ones that studied the scriptures supposedly and would had all the answers. So we got this attitude that's coming to uh, the Lord Jesus. Uh, it's interesting to note that they had these titles placed upon them, and I'm not against it. If you have a title or want to get one or whatever, go for it. Uh, I remember I studied one time for that, and uh, the Lord showed me that I don't have time. As a one month, I was I preached 23 times. I said, Lord, I don't have time for this other. He says, No, you don't have time for anything else. Just forget it. You don't need that right now. And uh, the Lord Jesus made himself of no reputation. Here they make themselves of reputation. And it's interesting for us that the Lord tells us that those that will be great among you, let them be your servant. And how did it come to be that from Bible times, the lawyers and doctors of the law were those that uh, were ones that opposed the Lord Jesus Christ to today? It's in the church that somebody with a title is given great recognition. Uh, it's just a question. I'm not condemning anything or anybody or whatever. Uh, it's just something to think about. But so you have this one, and he's recognized as that. He's a lawyer, a lawyer. He's taught in the law. He knew the uh, Mosaic laws inside out and backwards. He's the one that he would ask the questions, and he would give them the answers and stuff. So you get this guy. He's stepping forward with this attitude like, I know, I know. And you're going to approach this fellow that's been opposed to everything that they've done and bringing in some new ways and new things and they're going to, this fellow of course is the Lord Jesus Christ, tempting him to, to test him, saying, Master, verse 36 right there. Now that word master does not have the idea of a master or like a, a master of a household or whatever, or your boss or whatever. It's not that. It literally means teacher. Okay, so he's coming to him saying, teacher, you got one teacher coming to the end, calling Jesus teacher. So he says, we're, we're kind of on the same level, but I think the attitude was that the Lord Jesus was less. He says, uh, master or teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Oh, they're going to trip him up now, eh? They're going to trip him up uh, right here. They, they, they figure anyways. Uh, which is the great commandment in the law? Now, they're talking about the law here generally... Uh, now they had like 613 uh, Levitical laws and such like that, but generally they're talking about the Ten Commandments and stuff like that, which is the greatest. And so the Lord Jesus is going to um, answer his question. And that's a, that's a fair question, I suppose, but I suppose it's in the attitude in which it comes forth because they are looking to uh, do away with him. Uh, we saw last week, we looked at three years <coughs> earlier, they had gathered together like the Pharisees and the Herodians and they were plotting and they wanted to get rid of Jesus. They would, uh, they would just as soon see him dead. Okay? But isn't it interesting, and we looked at, and we ended last week on Acts chapter 4, verses 26 to 28, I think in there, where it talks about all, uh, the Gentiles and Israel and, and uh, the Jews and uh, Pilate, all, all of them, the soldiers, they all gathered together to... Uh, uh, to do harm, to crucify the Lord Jesus Christ, and that it was God's plan. Okay, God's plan was that. And the timing of it was in God's control and hands too. We're coming up to it now. We're coming up to um, about two days before the crucifixion here. 
Um, it's coming up very, very close to that. And the Lord Jesus says, it's, He knows it's time. And so He's not going to be holding back. He's going to tell them off. It's just going to stir them up in chapter 23. Anyway, let's get back to this. So we look at the Lord Jesus' um, response to this. Which is the great commandment? Now, all of the commands, which is the, what's the greatest verse in the Bible? What's the most important one? You can't say that, can you? You can't really pick one up. It's God's Word. Well, we have in here, in God's Word, we have some things that others have said, even that the devil has said, and God has placed that in here for us to understand and know. And we're not talking about that, but you can't really do that. It's kind of a, well, they're, kind of, they're trick, trying to trick him. But Jesus said unto him, how does he answer him? He answers him with Scripture. And he answers the, uh, the whole the whole thing, okay, if there's the greatest one, here it is right here. And it's not one that you find in the list of the Ten Commandments, but in if you were to turn your Bible, you don't have to do that right now, I'll just mention to you in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, the context is about the Ten Commandments, that the Lord gives given the Ten Commandments to the uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Israelites in Deuteronomy chapter 6, Verse 1, it says, Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, judge, judgments which the Lord your God commanded to teach you that you might do them in the land where, where, whither ye go to possess it, that thou mightest fear the Lord thy God, and so on and so forth. And these commandments which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and you keep these and teach them, and so on and so forth. And then he goes on, and the Lord quotes from Deuteronomy chapter 6, in verse 4, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now, I thought that was interesting. It's written in here. And in our Bibles, in the Old Testament, you have capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, which they say is uh, um, uh, Jehovah, the Tetragrammaton, and they just get that and put vowels in with it. Um, and that may be so. I'm in the middle of studying that thing and looking at the word Yahweh, and we have in our English uh, I E U E, and how do you can pronounce that thing? It comes out as U E or something like that, like Yahweh. And we're not trying to divide the church or anything, but um, you look at it. I don't know where they get that other from, but that other one that I just mentioned is actually the name of God. So He's saying that if thou mightest fear uh, Yahweh thy Elohim. Um, it's interesting, as we look, just look at the words here just for a minute. He says in verse 4, The Lord our God is one Lord. Yahweh our Elohim is one Yahweh. Or you could say Jehovah our Elohim is one. <coughs> we take those two words and just have a look at the definition, a very brief definition of them. When you have the word God, uh, capital G-O-D, capital G, and the O-D is not capitalized, God, it's implying... Uh, um, implying something. It's, it's the word Elohim. It means, or it has the idea that it implies strength and omnipotence. That means all-powerful. Okay? The Lord, our, our God, our strength. Okay? And the word Lord, whether it's Jehovah or Yahweh, whichever camp you're going to uh, park in, whatever, uh, expresses eternity and immutability. means unchangingness. Is that a word? Unchangingness. Uh, the divine nature uh, uh, 
the eternity and immutability of the divine nature and the faithfulness of God to do all his purposes and promises. What God says he will do, he will do. Did he say Jesus was going to come back? He's going to come back. And everything God said that he would do, he did it. And he will do everything. That is part of what his name is. That, with that Lord, L-O-R-D there, that Je Jehovah or Yahweh. That's what that means. Jehovah, your God, your strength. And I thought, well, maybe we should ask ourselves a question, or sometimes we need to ask ourselves a question. What is your strength? What do you find strength in? Some people find strength in themselves or in their hobbies or uh, physical fitness or whatever. I don't know. But what is your strength? That's your God. Better be the God of heaven. First and foremost, eh? See what I mean? Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy might. So we have here in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Lord answers this. And we have here in our Bible, um, with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. But back in Deuteronomy, it says all thy might. Well, that's interesting, isn't it? Some, some people might say, well, that's a mistake. No, it isn't. Because you have over in Matthew, or Mark 12, 30, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay? You just, it's not a, not a mistake at all. When you read through the Bible, you take one passage, what the Lord does and often does is you've got to look at other passages that deal with that one to get more light on it. Do you know what I mean? <coughs> Otherwise, you'll end up like the cults, like some that say that their soul sleep. When you die, your soul just goes to sleep. And they go back to Ecclesiastes and say, see, the dead know nothing. Yeah, well, that's just poor uh, uh, um, Bible study, isn't it? Let's look at what Jesus said. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. That word love there is agape. That's like this one right here. God so loved the world, that word agape. There's different words that can be used for love. We have in our uh, English, we have just the word love. But in, as the original language was given, there's different words that could have been used. So he's saying to his people back then, um, to love the Lord your God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And we have it in the, in the New Testament that, and that holds forth for today. If anybody was to say, what's the most important thing? Well, to love the Lord thy God. First of all, look at that word, that self-sacrificing is what it means. You would do anything for the Lord. Uh-oh, we in trouble now. Would we do anything for the Lord? And it's something for us to ask ourselves, if God asks you to do a particular thing, would you do that? Would you give your life? Give up everything? I was reading, I don't know where I put it, George Mueller's, um, he was talking about, he was 90-some years old, talking about when he got saved. I was going to bring it, but I forgot. Um, he was talking about, he, he got converted at a particular age. He says it wasn't until four years later that he gave his whole life heart and soul to Jesus Christ. You know what I mean? He just gave up everything. There's no more about me, no more. No matter what happens, 
And uh, uh, when we start to look at the word uh, love there, that's the, that's the idea right there. That's a self-sacrificing thing. We have in the New Testament, the Bible tells the husbands to love your wives. It's that word agape. It's a self-sacrifice. But over in another portion, it tells the wives to love your husbands and children. It's a different word. It's phileo, which means to cherish them above everything. Okay? So it's important for us to see which one. He says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy, all thy heart. And we are to love God, to do anything, absolutely anything for Him. Sometimes the world gets in our way, ourselves get in the way. But the Lord would have of us just to do whatever He would ask. Just give yourself to the Lord. We have that tremendous book, uh, They Found the Secret. And we wanted everybody, we had copies, and everybody was to read it. And I hope you did read it. It's about it's 20 different accounts of very famous Christians, evangelists, preachers, and so on and so forth, missionaries. And they found that as George Mueller, they got saved. But as a few years would go on, there was something that was kind of missing. And they would come to a point in their lives where they would just say, okay, it's enough, Lord, I just give everything to you. And right from the heart, I give up, give up everything. I give it all, everything over to you, or however, however you would put it. And then they found there's a tremendous difference in their lives. Okay? But we ought to love our, our God. We ought to do anything for Him. You notice here when the, they asked the Lord, what's the most important thing? What's the most important uh, uh, commandment? He didn't talk about uh, their, uh, one of the things that they were upset with the, with the disciples about was they didn't wash their hands before they ate. He didn't talk about washing hands, eh? It's interesting to note that hand washing, uh, what they would do is it's a particular way they would do it. It meant to take your fist and kind of go like this. Some people wash like that. You really rub it in, eh? But that was the idea. But he didn't say that. He didn't say there was... Um, some the prohibitions of the Sabbath or whatever. He didn't talk about works. Number one thing, love God. How do you do that? To love God is to have your behavior correct before Him. To seek to do His will over your own. And the Lord Jesus Christ gives us the absolute most beautiful and perfect example of that in the Garden of Gethsemane coming up for after a bit here. You know, there's things that were before him. And for anybody, you would think, well, my, if you knew what they were going to do to you and everything. And he says, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Okay? To seek to do his will. We talk about thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all, all thy heart. We get things in our heart sometimes that maybe shouldn't be there. Or kind of take the place of God, dethrone Him. With all thy soul, with all thy mind, with all thy strength. That's not too much to ask, is it? For what He's done for us. If we consider what God has done, what Jesus Christ has done at the cross of Calvary, His death, burial, and resurrection, to set us free, anybody would give Him. I think one of the problems that, and again, that's just what I think, I think one of the problems that people have is, oh, I'm going to have to give this up or this up or this up. And uh, and sometimes, sometimes you do. But it becomes a fear, and sometimes people won't come to the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved because they enjoy their life, they enjoy their sin, and they're afraid they might have to leave this or the, whatever. Okay. And for Christians, too, there's things we have to let, we have to let go of. Sometimes we have to take our hobbies and say, Lord, I just give them up to you. Whether I do this anymore or whether I don't. 
you know best or something like that. Maybe that's not a good example. But thou shalt love, the agape love, self-sacrificing love, the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That little word all there, not some of our heart, all of our heart, with all thy soul. You know, I think when we come to um, our services, it really, really helps singing those hymns, those, those old-time hymns that we sing. They have doctrine, they have such great teaching, don't they? And it, and it stirs you up inside. You find yourself stirred sometimes. Sometimes you want to shout out. I wish we would sometimes shout out hallelujah or something. You know? Sometimes a tear comes. But it's, that's the heart. That's all of the heart before God. And the song prepares us for the word of God. With all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And like I said, there's a parallel passage in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Look at that. Uh, this is the first and great commandment. Above all the things that he was expecting them to say, he says, this is what it is. And he just took it from Scripture. He went back hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years and says, we already told you this. We gave you the commandments and we said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4, there it is. Okay? So we have that. And he doesn't stop there. They said, which is the, the greatest command? Says, just, what's the one? He's going to give them two. <laughs> and he goes on. This is verse 38. This is the first and great commandment. And in verse 39, and the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now, we're not going to turn to there just for time's sake, but you write down Leviticus chapter 19, verse 18. And the Lord is referencing that portion there. It's talking about um, loving your neighbor as yourself. Now, when we get to that, we must have a look at that. We see the context of uh, Leviticus 19. Who is he talking to? He's talking to God's people. Who is your neighbor? And we think, well, the guy that lives next door to me. Not necessarily, that's not what he means. Okay? He's talking about God's people first. Okay? All people on the earth are not in the family of God. Okay? That's not a real thing. That's some fancy little thing. I don't know, Walt Disney or somebody made up. Something like that. It sounds nice. But he says, you consider your born-again family, the family of God, those that have trusted in Jesus Christ and become children of God, and you treat them this way. The second is like it. Now, you go back. You don't agree with me. You go back and read Leviticus 19, 18, and you see what it says right there. You'll see exactly that. He gave them this one, which they didn't even ask about. They didn't even ask about it, but he gives it to them anyways. So how were they treating the Lord Jesus, you see? They weren't treating him very good. In fact, they didn't treat the people very well either. He talked about the Pharisees, that they put these burdens upon people, not even with one finger to help lift the burden, you know. Verse 41, let's get on with it. <clears throat> While the Pharisees were gathered together, well, he still had them there, he says, Jesus asks them. That's his turn to ask a question. He's going to ask a question here, which is kind of hard to understand when you first look at it in that, and I suppose it is all the way around. But to keep in mind what happens after this, you read chapter 23 coming up, he's really going to lambaste them. He's done with them because they're coming up to the cross. It's just hours away, basically. Okay? 
But while they're gathered together, they all come together to watch this one big shot, this, the big guns come out and ask Jesus this question. And he just puts them in place, in, in, in their place with what? The Word of God. Just like he did with the devil in the wilderness, remember? Um, while the Pharisees were gathered together, verse 41, Jesus asked them, saying, What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? That's a pretty simple, simple little thing. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? Now the Christ, they knew. They were watching. They wanted the Messiah to come. In fact, today they're still looking, but they missed it, didn't they? They're watching. They know who the Christ was. It means Messiah. They knew who this was. They knew this is the Son of Man from uh, Daniel um, chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. He says, What think ye of Christ? They're asking him this, and they've asked him previously, and they'll ask him just before the, the crucifixion. I think it was Pilate asks him, Who are you? And on the cross, they even go past him, walk by him, shaking their heads, if thou be the Son of God, because that's who the Christ is. That's who the Messiah is. It's God manifest in the flesh. It's the anointed one. They knew it. They knew it. And he's poking his finger in their eye. He says, you know this. What think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say unto him, Oh, the son of David. It's not what they said, it's what they didn't say. Okay? It's what they didn't say. Yes, the Lord Jesus Christ was of the lineage of David. If you follow the kings and the succession, um, David's son, and that son, and so on and so on and so forth, you come down to Joseph, Mary's husband. Not the father of Jesus, but we could call him the stepfather. And Jesus being the first born in that family, he would naturally be the next in line for the throne. Which, of course, they didn't have kings on the throne because way back in Jeconiah's time and that, the Lord said because of what they did, there would not be another king on the throne until the Messiah, until the Christ, until God himself comes. I, I think they knew some of this stuff. These guys studied the... Yeah, but studied the scriptures, but I guess the Bible does say that you really can't understand it unless you have the Spirit of God. Maybe that was their problem. He says, what think ye of Christ? Whose son is he? They say the son of David. All they think of is the man before them. They don't want to step outside of that. You see, it was kind of a trap for them. They're trying to trick the Lord Jesus, set a trap for him. He set one for them. I know you know who's Who's uh, uh, the Christ? Whose son is he? They say the son of David. They're just, they just um, focus on the man before them. So the Lord says, He saith unto them, How then does David in spirit call him Lord? Saying, The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou on my right hand until I make thine enemies my, thy footstool. If David then call him Lord, how is he his son? So the thing about it is, they missed and they, or they wouldn't say, whose son is the Christ? Whose son is the Messiah? Who is the son of man? They knew Daniel chapter 7 very well, that this one would come and he would have the glory and everything given to him and the kingdom and all this stuff. Who is the anointed? 
is not the correct answer to the question that the Lord Jesus asked would be God's Son. That's the correct answer, which they missed, which so many people miss today. So many religions and such. There's people at this hour out worshiping and trying to worship, and they miss that. They don't see Jesus Christ as the Son of God, God the Son. Yes, He's the Messiah. He's the Anointed. He's the Son of Man. He's the Son of God. Amen? Amen. That's the correct answer. God's Son, but they wouldn't say it. They say of David. They're correct, but only partially. Yes, He was in the line, and He was... The, uh, if, if they still had the kings, he would have been the... Legally, he was the king. Isn't that something, eh? Being David's offspring, he would have the right to the throne, the throne of Israel, as its king. So we see the son of Joseph, <coughs> therefore, the legal king of Israel, in the line of David. We see the son of man, Go read Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. We see the Son of God. We see He's the King. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. But you see what He's doing? The Lord Jesus bringing this out. That's the full and complete answer. But they skirted around it because if they say anything other than of David, then they're giving in to Him. And they weren't going to do that. Partly because of their hearts were hardened. And because they had hard hearts, God says, I've got a job for you to do. You're going to take my son and you're going to have him put on a cross. Because of your hard heart. You're the perfect, perfect ones to do this job. In verse 46, And no man was able to answer him a word, neither durst any man, look at, from that day forth, ask him any more questions. He had tripped them up. He brought it all down to a head. He says, look at who do you think the Christ is? He didn't say, who do you think I am? He says, who do you think the Christ is? Set it up for them and they skirted around it. That sets up for us chapter 23. And he's done with them. And he's going to really, really tell them off. But anyway, some things for us to look at, some things for us to consider. And I guess the thing is, today, we would ask ourselves a couple questions about our love for God. And we don't look around at anybody else or think of somebody else, or that person does or doesn't or whatever. How is our love for God? How's your love for God? Your sacrificial love for the Lord, that you would do anything His will above yours. In everything we do, we ought to ask him about it, right? Yeah. And who is Jesus Christ to you? Who is he to you? Whose son is he? Some things for us to think about, that's all. We have to stop. Our time's gone. That's our word of prayer. Our Father, again, we thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you for the things we've been able to touch on today. We just thank you now, Lord. We just pray that you'd help us with these things, to understand these things. And then as we go into chapter 23, Lord, we get an understanding of what's going on with your relationship with these individuals, with the religious leaders of the day. And we just thank you now, Lord. We thank you for uh, your goodness, your grace upon us. Bless now, Lord. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
We have some uh, very deep chapters coming up. 23, the Lord uh, uh, is telling them off. Then we get into chapter 24, one of the most famous or recognizable chapters in the Bible. Chapter 24, the Lord Jesus is going to talk about the end times. So uh, a few weeks we'll be doing that, looking at the end times and looking to see what the Bible says about it. All right, we're done. Praise the Lord. Thanks, folks. Bye.